Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that beautiful prayer that you taught us. And as we learn from that today, we pray that you will speak to us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if I sound repetitive or not, but I really enjoy seeing so many of you guys here today. So it's, it's, it's definitely a blessing after a year and a half of, of a season of isolation and after a year and a half of not being able to gather like this, we're thankful to be able to see so many uh, of you here. And I know as Ontario moves from stage to stage, we hope that uh, we'll be able to figure out uh, what we can do as well to continue to create a safe environment for everyone uh, during this time. Um, so we're studying the Lord's Prayer today, and we're going through this series of prayer, and we're going to be studying various prayers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and today we're stu uh, studying a prayer uh, that Jesus taught. Last week we looked at the prayer of repentance and confession, and as the basis of our relationship with the Lord, because prayer is that, it's a growing relationship with Jesus. And so today, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, I hope that we can see how the Lord's Prayer reveals to us the very nature and character of our Father. Uh, there was a man named Chris Schultz, and on Father's Day weekend in 2019, he gave up his life to save his son. What happened was Chris Schultz, he was only 31 years old. His son Ashton was a curious three-year-old, and while they were on a bridge, he crawled through the rails and fell into the water. And so Chris Schultz, he jumped right away into the water to try to save his three-year-old son. And he was able to keep his son above water. And he was able actually to pass him off to a woman that was nearby. But as he was trying to keep his head above water, he just couldn't. And sadly, he fell underneath the water. A half hour later, divers were able to rescue him and take him to the hospital. But sadly, he died just a few hours before Father's Day 2019. He left behind four other children and his wife, Chelsea. But it was love that motivated him to jump right in without a second thought. It was love that motivated him as a father to say, I want to save my son. So let me give you the big picture of this message. If there's anything you take away from this message, it's this. God is our loving heavenly father. And he longs for us to know him through the intimacy of prayer. God is our loving heavenly father. As we just sang right now, oh, uh, oh, our father, hallowed be your name. And the lyrics of the song is, is the Lord's prayer. God is our loving heavenly father. And he longs for us to know him in the intimacy of prayer. See, the disciples, they didn't really know how to pray. I don't know if any of you here, are, do you find it difficult sometimes to pray or you don't know how to pray or what words to actually say or how to communicate with God? Well, they saw the beauty of Jesus's prayer life and they saw that and they saw his communion and his fellowship with his heavenly father. And they looked at that and they said, Jesus, can you teach us to pray like that? We want to know how to pray because we see the beauty of your intimate fellowship with your father. And so they said, teach us to pray. And so Jesus, in response to that, he taught them the Lord's prayer, what we call today the Lord's prayer. Some of us even know it by heart. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many here do you know that? Yeah, we, we said it, Salome led us uh, in prayer last week. But can we try that again today? Right? As we're, we're gathered here all together, this is wonderful. So let's try that again. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I could see, I could hear you, but couldn't see your mouths moving for some reason. But it was wonderful to hear you. So that we could pray together in you. And I'm looking forward to times uh, in these next couple of months when hopefully we can gather together like this in, uh, indoors, outdoors, on Zoom. Do whatever we can to continue to build community and pray together. Whether it's in a prayer walk, whether it's in our Monday night prayers, whether it's through reading our, uh, our Bibles and praying together that way. I'm looking forward to being able to connect with many of you and us connecting one with another this way in prayer. Now there's so much to this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We can have a whole series just on this one prayer. Right? And we can dissect it in so many different ways. And we can see how God's character is reflected, how we should live, what we should pray for. But today in this series, as we're studying ancient prayers, modern lessons, I want to look at this prayer just through one aspect or through one specific thing. And it comes from the first line of this prayer, which I believe really sets the tone for the rest of the prayer. The first line in this prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, or our Father in heaven. I think this line really sets the tone for the rest of the prayer. And so I want to look at the Lord's Prayer. Again, there's many ways of studying the Lord's Prayer. But for today, I want to look at this prayer in light of this one phrase and see how this one phrase relates to the other portions of this prayer. Our Father in heaven. Those words are powerful. To start off this prayer with a bang. Our Father in heaven. We need to realize that we have a father in heaven. It doesn't say our God in heaven. It doesn't say our creator in heaven. It doesn't say our king in heaven. It doesn't say uh, uh, our Lord in heaven. But it says our father in heaven. It reveals to us the intimacy of prayer that he wants to relate to us, not as creator, not as God, not as king, not as Lord, but he wants us in this prayer to relate to him as father, right? It's about a relationship. It's about caring, protection, love, kindness, sacrifice, provision, safety, all of these things that a father does for his children and so much more. Everything that's in this prayer relates to this fact that God is our father. J.I. Packer in his well-known book, Knowing God, said this. You sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, 
it means that he does not understand Christianity well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Right? And that's why in John 1 and verse 12, it says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Not, not like tenants or not uh, like just regular people or not like anything else that we could say, but he gave us the right to become children. That's an intimate personal relationship. Now, I forgot to mention before, all these, the, the notes are found on our website. If you go to our bulletin, uachome.org, uh, and you'll be able to go to our bulletin. You can find all the notes there as well. I know because we don't have a projector today. And even the lyrics as well. Some of you received some paper lyrics as well, but all of our lyrics as well are online uh, that you can use your phone or uh, access it that way. Uh, in Galatians 4 and verse 6, Again, he says, he, again, he's relating this relationship of children to parents. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. See, the spirit of God comes in us and our relationship with God is not as Lord, creator, king, master, whatever you, you want to say, although all of those are true. But he, what he wants in prayer is the intimacy of a personal relationship of father and children. And then he says, it's not just that it's our father, but it says our father who is in heaven. He's waiting for us. There is a hope that goes beyond this life, right? It's, it's all about a relationship. He wants to interact with us, not as God, not as creator, not as supreme being, but as father, the closeness, the intimacy, the care, the love, the support, the protection. And let me ask you, how do you know God today? Do you know God as your provider? Do you know God as your savior? Do you know God as your redeemer? As your healer? Those are all wonderful and great things. And we should know God that way. But God really wants us to know him as father that intimate, close, powerful relationship. Then the next part in the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be your name, or in other words, holy is your name. This is not a statement that it's actually a petition where we're praying and saying, Lord, make your name holy, right? Because we need to realize the greatness of the name of God, the holiness of the name of God, the power that's in the name of God. And even more than that, when we pray, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name, or holy be your name throughout all the earth, we want that name of God to be known all over the world, right? And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, set apart be your name, Lord, let your name be glorified, let your name be lifted up, let your, let your name be spread throughout the world that all people will know you. Here's a trivia question. You ready? What name? Father. Not the name of God. Not the name of creator. Not even the name of Lord. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father who is in heaven, let your name, that name of Father, be spread abroad. Because what God wants is to invite all of creation. God wants to invite all of us and for us to take that word and that gospel and spread it out all throughout the land and to invite people into a relationship of father and children. 
into a relationship of father and son, of father and daughter. And that's what he's calling us to. And when we pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, set apart be your name. What name? The name of father. And that's why we cry out, Abba, father. And we as ambassadors of reconciliation help others to be able to cry out, Abba, father. And this is really what sets Christianity apart from every other major religion. That in many other religions, God is just a supreme being that's far away. He's the creator of all things. In many other religions, in many other contexts, you just see God as some distant being, someone to be feared and, re and revered. But in Christianity, God wants us to know him as Father. Let that name be revered. Let that name be holy and loved and cherished and known. Let the nations know the name of Father. Let the nations know the Abba Father who longs to know his people. Let the nations be glad and know Jesus as God, as the Father, as a loving God, as a loving creator. It's so amazing that we get the opportunity to share with others the love of a heavenly father. And that's what we are called to do. Next week is Mission Sunday and we're going to talk a little bit about, more about missions. And, and that's what, when you say hallowed be your name or holy be your name, set apart be your name. Let your name be exalted among the nations. Let the name of father be exalted among the nations. Let the name of father be lifted up among the nations. Let all the peoples of the world let all the nations of the world come to know the living God as their father. Because it's the intimacy of a relationship that we come to God in prayer. There are so many names that's listed in the Bible about God as savior, healer, righteous judge, banner, victory. There's so many compound names that we can say. If you study the Old Testament, so many different names of God. But let me tell you, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the name that he used to address God was father. And if you read throughout the New Testament, so many times in Jesus's prayer to his heavenly father, the way that he addresses God is how? Father. He models for us the intimacy of that relationship in prayer. That's why in John 12 verse 28, Jesus said, father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus prayed and said, Father, let your name, Father, be glorified among the nations. Let all the nations come to know you. Let my disciples come to know you as Father. Let all the people come to know you as Father. I long for them to know you as Father because I know you as Father. Because Jesus exemplified that wonderful relationship. Jesus exemplified the fact that he was the son and, 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 and his father was God. And he wanted everyone to know that. And the father responded and said, I have glorified it. Jesus, I have glorified it. Everyone knows that I am the father and I will glorify it again. And that's for us to be able to embrace. The next part of this prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Asking God's kingdom to come is something that is vastly different from wanting what we want or desiring what we want to say, not my will, but your will be done. 
See, first, when you say here, your kingdom come, it means a denial of our own will and our own purpose. When we say your kingdom come, we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let Daniel's kingdom decrease. Right? Lord, I want your kingdom and I want less of my kingdom. As John the Baptist said, more of Jesus and less of me. And then it says, your will be done. It represents an accepting of God's will for our life. But when we think about God as our father, and when we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, there's no other greater example than we see of Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane for this right before he died. In Matthew 26 in verse 39, this is what Jesus said. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet not, yet I want your will to be done not mine. This is a beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed, and it goes along with this when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus said at this very difficult, hard time in his life when he was praying ardently, urgently, because he was about to die, and it was a, such a difficult situation for Jesus, and he prayed and he said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. See, Jesus knew, and he preached and taught uh, the kingdom of God. The Bible says that when Jesus was preaching and teaching, he was ushering the kingdom of God into this world, right? But the sealing of that kingdom would be his death and resurrection. And it wasn't easy for him to surrender. It wasn't easy for him to say, not my will, but heavenly father, your will be done. But he left us an example so that as we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, just as Jesus did. He gave us the example. He just didn't say, disciples, this is what you should pray, and I'm going to go do my own thing. He said, disciples, this is how you should pray. And then later on, he lived the agony, the distress, the difficulty of praying, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. When we are surrendering, it's not a cold experience of surrendering to a God that is far away. It's not a cold experience of surrendering to some creator being and saying, I surrender all. No, when we surrender and we say, not my will, but your will be done. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We surrender to who? Our Father. It's a warm, loving, kind, generous relationship. It's not just saying, not what I want, but what you want. But because we trust in the everlasting arms of our Heavenly Father. We trust in the never-failing mercies of our God. We are able to freely and willingly give that up. Just as Jesus gave us the example when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are willingly and able to freely surrender. Because we're not surrendering to just somebody that's far off and in a distance. But we are surrendering to our loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus, the Bible says about Jesus, you know, when we pray here, let's, uh, uh, the, the part of the prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that mean? On earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you look at the sacrifice of Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, right? If you look in Revelation 13, it talks about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Even before he came into the world, Jesus surrendered his will. He, his will was slain. Right? He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. His will was slain. He, he surrendered and he said, Father, this is what you want. I'm willing to do this. And so that happened already before. 
And so as you see the beauty of what happens in heaven and the beauty of that relationship of the father and the son, that surrender of the son to the father, that submission of the son to the father, as you see the beauty of that relationship that's in heaven, then you pray here, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it's already so beautifully done in heaven. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, it says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. He, he chose Jesus long before the world began to be that sacrifice. And although for a moment it was very hard for Jesus as he clung to that cross and his father for a moment turned his face away when the sin of the world came upon Jesus, yet he knew that what he was doing was pleasing to his father. He knew that he'd be returning back to his father. And so now we can go directly to the father when we say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Because Jesus said in John 16, he said, at that time you will not need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant you your request. See, we want the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Father to come because it's such a beautiful kingdom. So when we say in that portion, let your, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is that going to look like? Well, Paul gives us a little bit of a glimpse into things that will come to pass when he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, he says, after that, the end will come. He's talking about the end times. He says, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, authority, and power. It says, after that, the end, Jesus will come and he'll present the kingdom back to the Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, it's already done. It's, it's finished, Right? He, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But there will come a time when Jesus comes as the son and submits to the father and says, here, here's the kingdom. But now, as we live out the kingdom experiences here on this earth, we pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And the beauty of this kingdom rule is that the kingdom, when we say your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, who is the king of the, who is the, the, the person that's ruling over this kingdom? It's not a creator. It's not even a king. But it's the father. When you think of a kingdom, you obviously think of a king. And when you think of a king, you think of somebody that's going to rule hardly and someone that's going to make sure they execute this and execute that and do this and do that. But when you think of a father reigning over a kingdom... When you think of a father ruling over a kingdom, then we can joyfully say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I want to be part of that kingdom, don't you? I want to be part of that kingdom where the father is the one that's ruling and reigning, where the father is the one that's giving that. That kingdom by the father is ruled in kindness and in grace and in gentleness and in compassion. And it's complete as we pray and as we execute and as we ask the Lord, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. The next part of this is give us today our daily bread. Now this is trusting the Lord for our daily needs and looking to him. But remember, we're looking at this whole prayer in light of this first few words of our father who are in heaven, right? And so when you look at this, with a, will a loving father deny bread to his children? If you pray this prayer, give us today our daily bread. Do you think a loving father would say, ah, it's okay. I'm not going to give you any bread today. 
No. A loving father, in a very practical sense, a loving father would be more than happy to give bread to his children. Right? But I think this phrase is actually something that's a little bit more than just physical needs. I think it goes into something much more deeper spiritually. But first of all, the Lord says that he already knows about our physical needs. In Matthew 6, in the same chapter that you found, find the Lord's Prayer, he says this. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father, okay, remember, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So here Jesus says, don't worry about these physical things. So probably when, it, when he teaches the disciples to pray, give us today our daily bread, it probably means something a little bit more deeper. Don't you think? Because if later on he says, don't worry about those physical things, your heavenly father already knows that you need those things. Right? So what could it mean? I think it actually talks about the daily sustenance of our soul. Because in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 11, here he says something similar. He says this. He said, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Anyone here? Any fathers here? If your children ask for a fish, you give them a snake instead? No hands. Okay. Or if they ask for an egg, you give them a scorpion? Any takers here? No. Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give a nice Subway sandwich to you to eat daily? Is that what it says? Or how much more will your heavenly father give you your daily bread? Is that what it says? I know you don't have your Bible. You can pull it out on your phone. It's Luke 11, 11 to 13. What it says is how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I think when he talks about daily bread here, he's really talking about the sustenance of our soul because he says, don't worry about the physical things. I'll take care of that for you. But give us today our daily bread. Well, how much more if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children? If you being evil know how to give bread and eggs to your children instead of snakes and scorpions? If you being evil know how to do such good things, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit the sustenance for our soul, the sustenance for our spirit, the sustenance for eternity to those that love him? In Matthew, he gives an example of bread as well. He says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? There was a time in my life that I was going through a really difficult, uh, a really difficult situation. And I remember my dad, my dad passed away now more than 20 years ago, but I remember that I was going through this really difficult situation and my dad knew that I loved Mr. Sub, Right? especially the pizza subs. They're really good, right? And so my dad knew I liked that. And so what my dad would do when he would see me down and discouraged, he gave me some money and said, go and buy a sub to eat. And he did that so many times. I tell you, still to this very day, if I go to Mr. Sub and order a pizza sub, that sub tastes completely different from anything else that I would eat. Because when I eat that sub, I'm reminded of my loving earthly father who cared for me. 
When I eat that physical bread, I'm reminded of the love that my dad showed towards me in seeing me in my difficult situation and wanting to do something that would bless me. That's the love of a father. And although he was providing something physical, it provided something spiritual for me. Till this very day, I feel the love of my earthly father. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I feel the love of my earthly father when I eat a Mr. Sub pizza sandwich. Because there's something associated with that that reminds me of the love of my father. And so when we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And when the Lord, more than bread, can give to us the Holy Spirit to sustain us, to fill us, and to build us up. Now, some of us here, we might not have good experiences with our own dad. And maybe you look back and you think, I, have ha I had a terrible father, or I had this bad experience or that bad experience. Can I ask you maybe just to give the Heavenly Father a chance? And that if you have had a bad experience with your earthly father, give the Heavenly Father a chance to show you the fullness of what it means to be a father. And so that you can pray and say, our father in heaven, holy is your name. And if you have some bad and hurtful experiences because of things that have happened in your family, well, maybe the next part in this prayer, although difficult, is important. And the next part is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the beauty of the cross. This is the message of forgiveness. This is the, the characteristic of the kingdom of heaven. When we say your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, this is the language of heaven. This is the beauty of heaven. This is the message of heaven. This is the theme of heaven that when we all get to heaven, the one thing that we all will have in common is that we are all forgiven. And so if we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, then forgiveness is the theme. And forgiveness is what we need to practice. How many times do earthly fathers forgive their children? They mess up time and time again. And what does the earthly father do? Forgive time and time again. And the best example of this is the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son took his inheritance and said, I want to leave my father's house, he went and he spent all of his money in riotous living, the Bible says, and, and wasted all of his substance. And then he, ca and he came to his senses and he said, what am I doing here? I should go back to my father's house because there I had comfort and help and food to eat. And so he decides to turn around and come. And so when he decides to turn around and come, what does the father do? He doesn't turn his back to him. He says, forget it. You had your chance. You're finished. No, the father with open arms is waiting for his son. The father with open arms is waiting to celebrate his son, though his son turned his face away from him. No, the father kept his arms open wide for his son. And the second part of this is we are forgiven, but we also forgive others. And that's why the words to this prayer is not just father, but the words to this prayer are what? Our father. See, you see, we're all in one family. We all call him father. And so we all have to show one another patience and grace and forgiveness. See, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son had difficulty with this. 
See, the older son was still a son of the father. But when his brother came back and his father forgave his son, he found it very difficult. He said, how could you forgive this person? How could you celebrate this person? The older brother had a problem and he needed to rejoice over his younger son. He needed to be able to say, our father. Instead, what did he say? He said, your son. He didn't say my brother. He disassociated himself from that familial relationship. And instead of saying my brother, he said your son. But what he needed to realize was that he was also a son in that family. And that's why we pray our father. And as we pray our father, we are part of that family that we learn to bear with one another. We learn to forgive one another. We learn to show love and kindness. You know, in the story of Joseph, the brothers thought, the brothers of Joseph in the Old Testament, when their father Jacob was alive, the brothers thought, we're good. Joseph's not going to do anything to us. The moment that Jacob died, what happened? They sent a message to Joseph saying, our father said this and this to please forgive us. Now, I think they really made up that, right? But they sent a message to Joseph and Joseph's heart was broken and he wept and he said, don't you realize that I've forgiven you? Why? That was his brothers. They had the same father. And that's why we pray our father. And that's why we can say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have indebted, are indebted to us because we are part of one family, our father who art in heaven. Joseph said in Genesis 20, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them because it was all about our father. We are part of the family of God. Paul says in Ephesians, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And the last part, let me uh, finish real quickly. The last part, as bad, um, uh, the, the last part says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Will we be tempted? 100%. We will. Temptations are part of life. We will be tried. But here it says, not, don't take away temptation completely, but it says to pray not to be led into temptation. Because Jesus was tempted. We will be tempted. But what helps us in the time of temptation? Let me see, are you guys with me still here? What helps us in the time of temptation? Our Father. Right? Remember, we're looking at our Father for the whole prayer, okay? So our Father connected to the whole thing. When it says, lead us not into temptation, what helps us in order not to be led into temptation? It's the realization, it's the actualization in our hearts and in our minds that we have a Heavenly Father that loves us. Because look at this, in the baptism of Jesus, right? Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, verse 17. A voice came from heaven. It was the voice of the Father. What, is it? what did the Father say? This is my dearly loved son, or this is my beloved son, who brings me great joy. That's Matthew 3, verse 17. The next verse, Matthew 4, verse 1. Next chapter, right? Matthew 3, 17 is the last verse in that chapter. Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
So this lead us not into temptation is not that we won't be tempted. It's that we won't go into the temptation. And I believe one of the reasons Jesus was able to endure that temptation was because of what he heard from that loving heavenly father. What did he hear from his loving heavenly father? You are my beloved son who brings me great joy. He heard that from his heavenly father. And so when he went into a season of temptation, he was able to rest and trust in his father, knowing the love of his father. He knew the love of his heavenly father. So, so we can pray not to be led into temptation. We'll face it for sure, but we can be delivered from the evil one through the knowledge and, and understanding that we have a loving heavenly father that is, is there for us. Now, there are some other manuscripts that add as well, which we've added sometimes when we orally say the prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. But throughout this prayer, you see the beauty, the love, the care of the Father. And I'll close here with this. And this is the paradox of Christianity, that the most powerful expression of love, the greatest demonstration of love that we have ever seen in all of humanity, after we've talked all about the Father showing love to the Son and how this beautiful relationship that Jesus is trying to illustrate in this prayer, yet the greatest demonstration of love, and this is the paradox of Christianity, is not the Father protecting the Son, but the father giving up the son. It doesn't make sense, right? You go through all this trouble of teaching our father who art in heaven and all these things. To, and you go through all this trouble of displaying the beautiful relationship that Jesus has with his heavenly father. You go through all the trouble of trying to say, I want my name to be hallowed all throughout the earth. The name of father to be known all throughout the world. So everyone can enter into this personal, intimate relationship of father and son, father and daughter. And then you just go and give away your son. How does that make sense? John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, not some stranger, but that he gave his one and only son to die for us. And that's tough to understand. That's the paradox of Christianity. But let me give you one, one thought to close. Before the incarnation of Jesus, before Jesus came, here's another trivia question, ready? Okay. Before Jesus came in, in the flesh, what was the name of Jesus? Before Jesus came in the flesh, before we see him come in the New Testament and it says, you, they'll call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from this. He was the second person in the Godhead, the second person in the Trinity. Huh? Son, no, son came when he was born here. After the incarnation, after Jesus came in the flesh, he was known as the son. That was a prophecy, Emmanuel. God with us. Oh, I heard it. The word. Before Jesus came, before the incarnation, before Jesus came in the flesh, he was known as the word. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was the word in creation. When God spoke creation into being, Jesus was that word. He was the creator. When the word of God came to the prophets of old, that was Jesus, the word of God being spoken to the prophets as they prophesied. Only in the incarnation is he known 
as the son. Only when he came into this world is he known as... Now, there were prophecies in the Old Testament about the son. But it was fulfilled when Jesus was born into this world. But before that, he was always known as the word. Could he have come as brother of God? Maybe. Could he have come as creator? Yeah, he was creator. Could he have come as this thing or that thing? Yeah, but he came as son. As the son of God. As the incarnation of God. And I believe that he came as the son to display to all of us the beauty of a perfect father-son relationship. I believe he came as son as the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the beauty and glory of God. We saw what the son of God was. We saw the relationship that the son had with the father. We saw the beauty of a father-son relationship, a perfect father-son relationship. See, we live in a broken world with broken relationships, but God wants us to know the perfect relationship and that's why we look to Jesus as the son. Not as the creator, although we know him as a creator. Not as the king, although we know him as a king. But as we study the Lord's prayer and as we say our father, we know Jesus as the son. Because it typifies the beautiful relationship he wants us to have. Because we are called to be sons and daughters of God. We are children of God for all those who have believed in him. He has given them the right to become the children of God. And if Jesus came as the son, if the incarnation, he came uh, as the son to display to us the beauty of being children of God. He came into this world as the son so that he could show to us these are, this is what the privilege, this is what the beauty, this is what the blessing, this is what the, the, the great relationship, the intimacy, the love that you and I can have as children of God. As he displayed that in his prayer life with the father. And so many times throughout the gospels, you see this. Jesus speaking to God as his father. There's a lady named Pierce Vaughn. She worked for uh, Delta Airlines. And one year she had to work on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. Right? She'd always spent Christmas with her family. So do you know what her dad did? Her dad bought six plane tickets so that she could be, he could be with her with her on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. She was a flight attendant for Delta Airlines. So she was a flight attendant. She had to work on Christmas Eve, had to work on Christmas Day, but so that, her, so that she wouldn't be by herself on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Her dad bought six flights so that he could be with her. He flew from New Orleans to Detroit to Fort Myers, back to Detroit, then to Hartford, Atlanta, and then finally Denver, just so that he could spend the time with his daughter. That is the love of the father. I've been thinking a lot about fatherhood these days. As some of you know, Laura and I are expecting our first child in December. Thank you. And I've been thinking a lot about, about the love of the father. And I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, that, that small baby that's being formed in her, I'm praying for that small baby. I'm caring for that small baby. I'm praying for the health of that small baby. 
And in little, little bits and pieces, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit more of the love of a heavenly father. Although I've experienced that with my own father, and I, I've seen that in him. But now I'm seeing it a little bit more. And I'm trying to think about the awesomeness of our good, good father. Our heavenly father who loves us beyond measure. Our heavenly father that gives us the privilege to be able to say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing to the Lord.